1: Welcome, one and all. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Republic Broadcasting. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. The network's website, republicbroadcasting.org. Today is Saturday, June 14th, 2014. This show comes at you live every Saturday evening from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. eastern time that's 9 p.m. to midnight central time we have a great show lined up for you here today i'm going to continue i'm going to be continuing to unpack my cosmic abandonment presentation here live on the air and i'll probably be doing this for the next several weeks this presentation is about the connection of the the between the interference theory of human origins okay connected with non-human entities or beings connected with the current human condition to attempt to try to answer that all-important question of why are we in the situation that we find ourselves in as a species. So that's coming up in the first two hours of the broadcast this evening. In in the third hour, I'll be taking your calls about whatever topics you want to talk about. If you want to uh, continue to talk about this cosmic abandonment thesis of mine, uh, if you want to talk about the general topic of non-human interference with the human uh, natural developmental process, or if you want to talk about anything else, it's all fair game, no taboo topics as always here on What on Earth is Happening. The call-in number to join us, I'll give that right at the top of the show, so if you want to get in the queue uh, for calls, you could do that. The call-in number is 800-313-9443. Once again, the call-in number to join us live on the air on what on earth is happening, 800-313-9443. A couple of quick event announcements before we get started. Uh, next, actually this Thursday coming up, Uh, Thursday, June 19th, so five days from tonight, uh, the uh, Truth, Freedom, Prosperity Group hosts its monthly free documentary screening and discussion evening here in Philadelphia. Uh, June 19th, 2014, we'll be getting started at 7 o'clock p.m., going until about 10 o'clock approximately, maybe a little bit earlier than that. Uh, it's held at the Guerin Recreation Center in South Philadelphia. The Guerin Rec Center is at 16th and Jackson Street, 1600 Jackson Street in Philadelphia. The film for this month is Thrive. What on earth will it take? So uh, I thought this was a great film. We showed it before. It goes very deeply into uh, the problems and the nature of the problems that humanity uh, is facing as a species, it posts, It proposes some solutions as well, I think Foster Gamble did a good job overall with the film, and uh, that's why we're showing it again to, you know, what is pretty much in this location now, pretty much a new audience, and um, the uh, Guaran Recreation Center, again, is at the corner of 16th and Jackson, there's a free parking lot there, off-street parking for free, Uh, almost unheard of in South Philadelphia. The parking lot entrance is on Wolf Street between 15th and 16th. And the meeting room is in the uh, main uh, building. It's the last door on the right after you enter the main building. And um, uh, this... uh, Free documentary screening and discussion evening takes place as always on the third Thursday of every month. So we show a different documentary on the third Thursday of every month. It's always free to attend. There is a cost associated with the rental of the uh, rec center. So if you can give any free voluntary donations, if you're in a position to do so, we do appreciate that. It helps pay for the room. And uh, also feel free to bring your own food and drinks if you're going to come to the uh, free documentary screening and discussion evening. So that's my first event announcement. Hopefully some people will come out and uh, we always have a good time at these events. I will be speaking live in Manchester, Connecticut on October 4th of this year, October 4th, 2014. I'll be giving a seminar entitled Demystifying the Occult. The topic, again, it's called Demystifying the Occult, and I'm going to be getting into a lot of occult symbolism, both for the negative and the positive, how it is used for subversive reasons to subvert the mind and hold the mind in thrall and used for mind control purposes, and I'm going to get into the positive aspects of occult symbolism as well, more likely than not deeply breaking down some tarot symbolism in this seminar. Again, it's Saturday, October 14th at the Manchester Historical Society, a beautiful building in Manchester, Connecticut, 175 Pine Street, Manchester, Connecticut. Uh, This event is hosted by Art Capozzi and his brother Chris Capozzi, the same gentleman who hosted the Natural Law Seminar that I gave in uh, Connecticut uh, in 2013. So really looking forward to uh, being in Connecticut again this October. Uh, I will have more details, and I will also have an event flyer hopefully within the next week. I wanted to try to get it done this week. Uh, Different uh, events that I had to attend to uh, made that not possible, but I am going to try to put my attention fully toward uh, this event and create the event flyer this week and hopefully get that out on the website this week and uh, uh, be able to get that up on the uh, uh, images for the show next week here on What on Earth is Happening. There is a support donation button on the What on Earth is Happening website on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, as you go to the homepage, you'll see underneath uh, the podcast section it will say "Donate to What on Earth is Happening." Uh, if you felt, feel that you have gained value by the information that you have seen and heard on my website. Uh, you could show your support by making a monetary donation. Uh, it helps out with uh, expenses that I have personally in my life. And um, uh, if you feel you know like uh, that's something that you would be interested in doing voluntarily, there is a button there to do that. And you could make a, a donation via PayPal, Bitcoin, or uh, by check or money order via mail. So with that having been said, I want to direct everyone's attention to the what on earth is radio show page. That's uh, on the radio show tab as you go to the main website, or you could go right to it, uh, what on earth slash radio If you're not already listening there, uh, right underneath the player for the broadcast, the live player, um, there will be a section called Images for Tonight's Show." And as always on uh, this radio show, uh, you could follow along with the concepts and ideas that I'll be presenting. Again, I'll be giving essentially what amounts to a presentation or a lecture in the first couple hours, and then we'll be going to your calls and questions in hour number three. But uh, there are two sections of slides called Cosmic Abandonment Slides, Part 1 and 2. You'll see numerical links, and you could follow along. And as always, I will try to be observant and make sure that I tell people the slide number that I am moving to. Uh, last week we ended up on slide number 22. I'm going to start this week on slide number 22 and then move forward from there. So, uh, also, uh, just to mention underneath those two sections of images, there is a section there that says all cosmic abandonment slides. You can download them in a zip archive, which is just shy of about 50 megabytes. If you'd rather unpack them on your computer and, uh, double click them to look at them from there we'll start this presentation on the other side of the break we'll be right back there's
2: a cold inside.
1: There's nothing wrong There's a code of silence And it can't go on Welcome back everyone You're listening to What on Earth is Happening Here on RBN I'm your host Mark Passio My website Whatonearthishappening.com So let's get started With our presentation For this evening This is a continuation Of Cosmic Abandonment And the subtitle of the Cosmic Abandonment presentation is an explanatory synthesis regarding human origins, psychopathy, slavery, and the current psychological and social conditions of humanity. That's a mouthful for sure, and it's an attempt to explain just that. Why are we in the current psychological and social conditions that we find ourselves in? Last week, we uh, went through the first 22 slides of the show. I'm going to re- rehash a little bit on slide number 22 and then move on. Slide number 22 shows what I called a picture of the current human psychological condition. Uh, a, a, a An angry child who has been ab- abandoned by his parents in a state of recklessness, in a state of seeming helplessness in a state of resentment bitterness you know not knowing who they are not really knowing where they came from not really understanding how they find themselves in the condition that they find themselves in not understanding how to get out of that condition and the question that i posed was why are what is the underlying causal factors or reasons that so many people are, continue to remain so unconscious that they refuse to live in harmony with the laws of morality, what I call natural law? Why do we want to still exercise coercion and support coercion against other people? Why do we fail to recognize the presence of the existence of the vast amounts of evil that, are, that exists in our midst the, t- the total control system that we are living in. Why do so many people refuse to acknowledge it for what it really is? A system of evil and enslavement and slavery and violence. You know, they want to justify and make euphemisms for it and justifications for why it needs to continue to exist why will most of us willfully participate in such evil for things like a paycheck, for just promises that will be somehow taken care of, either directly or indirectly will participate in this evil, directly by actually doing it or indirectly by supporting it and supporting those who actually implement this evil system that we are all trapped within right now. Well, the reasons, the underlying causal factors, people would more likely than not say ignorance is the root cause, but I don't list ignorance as a root factor, okay? It, it is a huge factor, and if I could stamp out ignorance, I would do it in a heartbeat. And that's what this show is really all ultimately about, telling people we're here to learn and grow and understand the causal factors that create our conditions. And as long as we remain ignorant of those causal factors, we can't change those conditions, But willful ignorance, I would say, is part of the symptom. It's not the root of why people are in that mindset. And see, what we're trying to do is go down to the ultimate root causation. In other words, we know there's so many ignorant people, willfully ignorant, who don't want to know. But why is that? Why don't they want to know? So we have to dig deeper and go down to the deeper underlying psychological condition that lies beneath willful ignorance. Well, and then we find, well, why don't people want to be knowledgeable? Well, because knowledge carries with it personal responsibility. And the people who want to remain ignorant are actually in fear of taking on personal responsibility because they're in a childlike mindset and they want to remain in that childlike mindset. They don't have a vested interest in truly maturing or growing up and taking on personal responsibility to change things that are wrong with our condition, that are wrong with our world. They just want to absolve themselves of that personal responsibility and say, oh, that's someone else's responsibility, not mine. But that's not the bottom line level. Well, then why are they in that condition? What put them in a condition of I don't want any personal responsibility in my life. That doesn't just happen. Conditions have to be created that make someone feel like that, that puts them into that mindset. Well, what did that? And ultimately, we find that people who are in, if we dig deeper into the human psychological condition and look for the causal factor of why people don't want personal responsibility, we find always the people who want to shirk personal responsibility are always in some form or another in a condition of self-loathing, self-loathing, self-hatred. They don't love themselves. Okay. They're in a position where they don't feel any true self-esteem or true self-respect. That's why they don't want personal responsibility. And that's why they continue to choose Willfully to remain ignorant and not to take knowledge into themselves. Okay, so is that the bottom line though? And this is kind of where we ended up last week. And the answer, of course, is no. That's not the bottom line. That's not the base psychological condition that is driving the dynamic that we see in place in humanity. Well, what then creates this condition of self-loathing in most people? Why are people self-loathing children psychologically, what put that psychological condition in place from a very early age in most people? Why didn't we learn from a very early age to develop true self-respect? Why didn't we learn the importance of our true individual self-worth from an early age? And the answer to that question, as painful as it may be, if you really do the psychological homework and study the psychological dynamic that's at work, In the human condition is most people on this planet are dealing with and suffering from parental abandonment issues. They are suffering from issues of their parents not being there for them in some capacity. It does not, again, I can't stress this enough, have to mean that the parent was not physically there. It could mean that the parent was not physically there, was absent physically, but that does not have to be true. A parent can be present physically and the child can still suffer from abandonment issues parentally because the parent was not available emotionally, psychologically, mentally, uh, supportively in, in, a, in a empathic capacity, in a nurturing capacity, it, grooming the child spiritually, Okay, providing for the child's mental well-being, psychological well-being, and spiritual well-being. Physical needs, creature comforts, base needs are only one aspect of things, okay? So even if a parent provided all of those things, food, shelter, clothing, clean water, clean clothes, decent schooling, etc., okay, that's only one aspect of a child's personal development as a being. And if the parent is not there for other aspects of the child's development, there are still Nested psychological abandonment issues. And of course, you have parents then that aren't physically present. They literally abandon the child in a physical sense and aren't there. You know, marital issues come up, parents separate. Sometimes people just, you know, engage in the sex act and have children and don't want to support the children, you know, because they're not a responsible human being. They're a child themselves and they're giving birth to other children. So, At the root cause of this, humanity is wrestling with parental abandonment issues that are nested at a subconscious psychological level. We'll pick this up on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. So parental abandonment issues, most people would not think of that as a root cause of the human condition that we find ourselves in. And what my thesis that I call cosmic abandonment is all about is What if it's not abandonment issues just operating at a personal scale level? What if, as a species, we are suffering collectively from parental abandonment issues as an entire race of beings? What if we had bad cosmic parents? And parents is even, it's just, you know, not even a good way of looking at it, but it, you know a very immature species that had just been brought into being could look at their keepers, their masters, their enslavers as parents, you know? You got to look at it as totally abusive, domineering, control freak parents, okay? Not parents in a traditional sense, in a nurturing sense, not what parents should really be doing. Okay. So moving to slide number 23, when I was giving this presentation, you know, to a uh, meetup group that discusses issues of UFOs, alien beings, uh, possible interactions with humanity of non-human intelligences, my question that I posed to them was, well, what could the human condition psychologically, okay, and the underlying root causes of why we're in the deplorable condition that we are spiritually and socially, how could that possibly have anything to do with beings from elsewhere? How could that have anything to do with the possibility of us being visited and continuing to interact with beings from places other than the earth. well, And regardless of what the nature of these beings happen to be, whether we're talking about them as uh, physical beings from other places in uh, the the galaxy that we live in, whether we're talking them about them as interdimensional beings or spiritual beings of some type, setting aside what people feel the nature of non-human entities may be, and hey, it could be all of those things. Alright? I'm not knocking any one particular hypothesis or theory here. I'm saying let's set aside the question of what their nature is for a moment and let's talk about the possibilities of how they may have interacted with us in the past. And there are accounts in many ancient records that we were the progeny of these beings, that we were created by these beings, and also that they interbred with us in many ways that they gave us our institutions, that they gave us our quote-unquote laws, that they gave us our systems of government and religion and money. And this is what I want to explore throughout this presentation over the next many weeks. You know, what could this, you know, the questions here uh, on slide 24 is, how did these beings interact with us? What does this have to do with How we exist right now, the current condition in which we find ourselves. So slide 25, I start to pose some of these questions like, you know, why do so many ancient accounts, why are there so many ancient accounts of extraterrestrial visitation to our planet? Ancient accounts that go back right into human antiquity. Thousands of years old in many cases. Some of the oldest writings ever found are about interactions with what they called supernatural entities, gods, or beings from the sky, as they referred to them. And they're so similar, they're not drastically different in the events that they describe. You know, it's not like it's a, just a wild imagining and fictional stories told that are all just random. They're very consistent and coherent as well. When we look into these ancient texts, it doesn't make a difference what corner of the world, what geographical region, what culture that they came out of, or even the time period that they come from. They tell very similar accounts of interactions with humanity of other worldly beings that were not human. And, you know, they describe very similar events in great detail And yet, modern academia, modern archaeology, modern anthropology, modern scientific thinking on this says that this is all just fantasy and myth. It's all just fabrication. It's all just imagination. It's all just mythology. And to me, that stretching, that stretches the limits of credulity. When you talk about cultures that ostensibly didn't have any interaction with each other, Because we're told that we didn't have a worldwide, global, technological civilization that could have shared data quickly and across the oceans, you know, and then we're also given this linear progression theory of human evolutionary development as societies. Well, then, where do these myths come from? If they're in the oldest, they're already formed in the oldest cultures. Where did they come from? What is their basis? if they're not some forms of historical accounts. And once again, I've made this very clear in past shows, I don't feel like all of these ancient writings are just all historical accounts. Some of them are allegories. Some of them are, you know, fictional narratives, and they're talking about uh, spiritual, things of spiritual significance and moral lessons, and they're put in allegorical ways for us to decode and understand. Some of them are symbolic. But not all of them. And it takes discernment and judgment to understand. Is this allegorical or is this a an actual historical account? And are these people in the time period in which they are living. And in the culture in which they are living. Trying to do their best. The very best that they can. To describe very bizarre otherworldly situations. That they did not know how to put into words. And they just did their best in Uh, in their language and in their writing style to describe what they were seeing. So another question, are human beings actually, as as is described in a lot of these ancient accounts, the progeny of a non-human species or grouping of species that came to earth millennia ago? Not only thousands of years ago, that's not even doesn't even stretch it far back enough. Not even tens of thousands of years ago. Many of these ancient accounts say that we've been interacting with these beings and that they have been here for hundreds of thousands of years. Hundreds of thousands of years. So, could that possibly be true? And most people will immediately reject that and say, Oh no, that can't possibly be. And I ask people, why? Why couldn't that be? Just because you're not comfortable with it? Because you've bought into another story about human origins? Yet your mind is totally closed off to it even existing as a possibility? And how sure are we about these other so called theories? Darwinian theory of macrobiological evolutionary development. Many people buy into it like a religion. Without any question, they just accept that explanation from the entrenched powers in the uh, scientism sphere. I think we need to look a lot deeper than just the answers we're being given by entrenched, institutionalized, so called science. Because there's a whole other story out there that these people who call themselves scientists are protecting because they don't want the implications dealt with or wrestled with by humanity and the social upheaval that may result as a result of people trying to come to grips with and wrestle with those implications that come from a very detached study of the ancient past and the historical accounts that we find in many ancient scriptures and documents you know these people have a very attached perspective and a paradigm that they're trying to protect Because they have tenure and there's a lot of money invested in what they've already put out. And they're already the leading authorities, quote unquote, on the topic. And they have tons of money wrapped up in museums. And they have tons of money wrapped up in government grant money and archaeological funds and studies and digs, etc. And the other part of it is prestige. They want to be the people that told the story about the human past and human origins, Truth be damned. You know, my name is down with some sort of a discovery. It's all ego that's involved. Ego is involved in so-called science. Money is involved. These are themes I was bringing up last week, and it's so important to consider this. We'll pick it up from there on the other side of this break. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to What on Earth is Happening right here on the Republic Broadcasting Radio Network. Don't go anywhere.
0: We don't need no thought control No dark sarcasm
3: in the classroom
1: Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. Continuing with our presentation, Cosmic Abandonment, for this evening, we were on slide number 25, looking at some questions that are going to be explored as I uh, unpack this presentation. You know, we're talking about, well, you know, why are there so many ancient accounts of extraterrestrial visitation to our planet and interaction with uh, the, uh, you know, with our species? Why uh, you know why do we hear in a lot of these ancient accounts that it is uh, possible that we're the progeny of these beings that they made us you know um, Many researchers and uh, from the the uh, uh, translation and interpretation of a lot of these ancient accounts suggest that we were made as a hybrid, Species for a purpose, which was to do work for them, to ease a burden that they took on, because they had a mission in coming here for resources that were needed, that they needed to procure. And they didn't have enough manpower to get that done, as I'm going to talk about as I go forward in the presentation. And so they made a slave species, they actually created what they called a worker race. And that's what humanity was. And people will hear that and they'll be horrified. How could you possibly even entertain the notion like that? What? That we've always been slaves? Uh, Once again, why isn't it possible? I mean, do we have all the knowledge about what really occurred in the ancient human past? Is that not possible that that could be the case, that that could have happened? And again, most people will say, it's not possible because I don't want to imagine that world. It doesn't make a difference whether it might be true or not. It doesn't make a difference whether thousands of ancient peoples tried to tell us about it, tried to write it down and preserve it historically. See, people have in their mind what they're comfortable dealing with is what's true. And this is kind of where I start the real in-depth discussion here. You know, is this all about what we're just comfortable with? Or is it about going all the way to what's true, regardless of how uncomfortable and unpleasant that truth may be, how downright ugly it may be? So if we do some more questions in slide number 27 now, um, that we could explore if we wrestle with those implications and try to come to grips with them is well, if we had really, really bad, screwed up creators, and I'm talking about creators with a small c, the, a lot of these ancient accounts called them gods. I personally hate the term, you know, because then it paints in people's. Mind this picture of God, capital G, creator of the universe. Underlying intelligence that underlies all of matter, everything in creation. And that's a horrible comparison to make because these beings are nothing even close to the creator of the universe in any way, in any way, shape, or form. And, you know, when we use, if we do use that term, we have to make sure we're putting it with a lowercase g, Gods with a lowercase g to delineate and differentiate from God, the creator of the universe, that force, that creative energy, that underlying intelligence. I hate the term gods even. I mean, I I prefer to call them the farmers, you know, the illegitimate masters, the illegitimate slave owners. How about that for an accurate term? The powers that should not exist at all, that unfortunately have been in charge and have been in control of this species and this planet since time immemorial, since we've existed as a species. So another question is, what effect did the whole situation of humanity's early quote unquote upbringing have on the collective human psyche? And then there's many accounts that these beings up and left when they were finished using us for whatever purposes they had for us. They took off. They didn't want to stick around here. This isn't their world. They went back to where they came from. Most of them, largely, I'm not dismissing the possibility that there could very well still be some of them here, or maybe their progeny, their ancestors, you know, their, um, you know. Lineages that procreated and interbred with humanity. Those bloodlines certainly could still be here with humanity. I would suggest that they are. But I'm talking about, as a whole, the original beings that came here from these ancient accounts. More likely than not, in the very vast majority of them took off and went back to where they came from. And since they were living as our masters, our gods, our quote-unquote parents with humanity for millennia, what did that sudden abandonment, what kind of an effect did that have on humanity? You know, that's like living with a parent your whole life and then suddenly them being gone out of nowhere, not even giving you a reason why they left. What kind of a number will that do on a child psychologically, spiritually, How significant are these events of cosmic abandonment, quote-unquote, the disappearance of these beings? Uh, How significant is that kind of an event to the understanding of the current psychological condition in which humanity currently exists? As I said, I feel that our current condition is that of a bratty, spoiled, in many ways, child who doesn't want to grow up because it hasn't developed real self-respect. because essentially it was used and thrown away when it was finished being used. And we still have that imprinted on us throughout time from our early childhood as a species. Another question, what does humanity really need to understand within itself in order to rectify these deeply seated psychological traumas that have occurred in our early childhood? You know, that it accumulated over vast stretches of time in our, in what I call, you know, admittedly a a rudimentary term here, our troubled childhood, which again is putting it mildly. It doesn't do it justice. Like a lot of the terms don't do it justice. I don't want to really call these beings gods. They're not our gods. They're not my gods. You know, they're not the gods of anything. You know? Not as far as I'm concerned. You know, the, the the ancient peoples might have called them that because that's how they interacted with them, but they're certainly not gods. Nothing of the sort. You know, other researchers have called them different things. Someone like William Bramley, like I said, he called them custodians, which suggests caretakers. I, I don't like that term either. That suggests that these beings were so caring of us, you know that they were really nurturing and tried to support us. custodians suggest that you're you're doing something to protect and care for something that's that's not what the ancient evidence shows. It shows that there may be a very small amount of them that looked at us like that, but it was probably insignificant when it came to the vast numbers of how these beings interacted with us, you know. Other people have called them supernatural entities, giants. You know, I I just refer to them as the farmers. That's my name for them. That's the one, out of all the names I could possibly come up with, that's the only one I could think of. You know, I like the term archons because it suggests illegitimate rulers, illegitimate masters. You know, people who try to take total control and ownership of other people and look at themselves as a slave owner. You know, how about the, the runners of the big plantation called Earth? You know, That's a great name for them. I just call them the farmers personally, because they're just running a big farm here. Let's move on to slide number 28. This is the part one. Like I said uh, last week, this um, presentation is really given in three parts: the story of our past, the story of our present, and the story of our possible future. So part one is the story of our past where I'm going to give a generalized account of a a breakdown of the ancient story of human origins that are told by many different cultures. And we will begin that, we'll begin this section, the story of our past on the other side of this break, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We'll be right back.
0: You know the day destroys a night, night divides a day. Try to run, try to hide, break on through to the
2: other side, break on through to the other side, break on through
1: to the other side, the other side yeah. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Republic Broadcast. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. We're into the second hour of the broadcast for this evening. I'm going through my cosmic abandonment thesis, where I am talking about the connection of the interference theory of human origins to the current human psychological. Social, spiritual condition that we are experiencing on earth right now. And uh, I'm on slide number 28. If you're following along with the slides, they can be found at the whatonearthishappening.com radio show, or with this podcast, this will be podcast number 159. So um, we were on slide 28, and we're beginning the section called the story of our past. And this is where I'm going to basically begin breaking down uh, a rudimentary, admittedly, uh, general outline of what happened to humanity in our very, very, very early stages of our existence and our development as a species. So... Before we do that, I just want to cover a couple of things. If we look at slide number 29, I'm beginning this presentation with this quote in mind as we move forward. And again, this has everything to do with how people may or may not be open to the reception of this particular kind of information as weighty and heavy as this information is, as dark and disturbing as it is. This is a gentleman by the name of Travis Walton. And for people who aren't familiar familiar with him, I highly suggest you become familiar with this gentleman and his story. Uh, I've met Travis on a couple of different occasions, and he is an absolutely beautiful human being as far as I'm concerned. I have tremendous respect for him as an individual. He carries himself with an air of quiet, an air of respect for himself and for others around him. I've spoken with him at a conference. I've been on a discussion panel with him. It was a uh, pleasure to do so. And um uh I've read his book and I just think that uh he's put out a lot of great information for people and he's told the truth and been attacked and ridiculed for it. And again, it all comes down to how do you make a decision about who you will Believe if there is fragmentary evidence, and you know, not 100% proof. You know, personally, I use my intuitive capacities when it comes to that, and then I, I also look at things from a logical perspective and say, is this possible? Is this likely? I look at the person. You know, what do they have to gain or lose as a result of? bring this information forward. And then there's that unknown, that X factor. And you can kind of get a sense for that when you look into a person's eyes, particularly in person. And all I can say about Travis Walton is, for people who aren't familiar with his story, as strange, spectacular, and unlikely as the story may sound or seem, I believe him. Period. You know, I'm not afraid to say I believe somebody without proof of something. That doesn't make me a total true believer of everything that's floating around out there. Weighing the the evidence, weighing the possibilities, having met someone in person, having been around them, having spoken with them, having gotten an intuitive feel for what they're about, I can say that I completely believe that what he is telling is the truth as he feels he experienced it. And again, he's an abduction experiencer who was taken on board a, a non-human vehicle craft of some type. And he was actually physically worked on while on the craft because uh, what happened was he got too close to the craft and it looks like it, energy from the craft arced to his body. Uh, And in doing so, he was probably going to die. And instead of just allowing him to die, this particular group of beings decided to take him on board their craft and heal him with their methods of healing. For some reason. Maybe because he was here to do something. And it wasn't his time to leave this world or this life. You know? Maybe he still has a lot of work to do and to come forward and speak on, which I feel he's going to continue to do. But uh, in his book, Fire in the Sky, uh, it's a book named uh, the same name as the movie that was made about his experience, uh, which uh, while he was gone, while he was on board this craft, he was actually out of human time for about five or six days. I think it was five days And uh, people were looking for him and they blamed his worker, his his co-workers, because he was a logger in the Pacific Northwest. And they blamed his co-workers for his disappearance, his sudden disappearance. And wanted to bring them up on murder charges because they thought that they killed him and dumped his body someplace. These people might have found themselves in in court on murder charges for a crime they didn't commit. And he finally turned back up a few days later, naked and uh, uh, on a deserted road outside of the town where he lived in Arizona, and just, uh, you know, in a completely deplorable mental condition as a result of what he had gone through, this otherworldly experience that he had gone through. So he wrote a book about his experience. I think he wrote a couple of books. I have the one, I think it's his second book that I, I actually own. And in that one, he talks about the aftermath of the experience, not so much the experience itself. He talks about how when he told, came out with telling the experience, how he was received, how people interacted with him, you know, how people treated him. And it's a great breakdown of the dynamic of the psychological dynamic of human beings and how they treat other people who they don't agree with, concur with, understand the story that they're trying to explain of what happened to them, you know. How we just jump to conclusions and then and then act accordingly, you know? We don't want to really hear all the ins and outs of it and weigh the situation in our mind. We already base it upon our preconceived notions of what is and what is not. And that's what this quote is about, and I feel it's so powerful. It's one of the most important quotes I've put in any of my presentations. In his book, Fire in the Sky, Travis Walton said, quote, I have come to realize that the biggest problem anywhere in the world is that people's perceptions of reality are compulsively filtered through the screening mesh of what they want and do not want to be true. Okay, now you really have to think about what he's saying here. I'll read it again. He says, I've come to realize... That the biggest problem anywhere in the world is that people's perceptions of reality are compulsively filtered through the screening mesh of what they want and do not want to be true. They're not looking at things as either this is true or it is not true and I need to adjust my perception accordingly. No, it's the exact opposite. I have my perceptions of what I feel are true, what I am comfortable with accepting, and anything that does not, cannot be filtered through that screening mesh needs to just be rejected out of hand entirely. It needs to go. Because I'm going to determine what is true and what is not true based on what I want to be true or what I don't want to be true. And let me tell you what that's called, folks. Travis Walton doesn't say this in his book, but I'm going to tell you what that's called. That's called claiming to be God when you're in that mindset. I get to make up what's reality. We'll pick this up on the other side. Stay with us. Welcome back everyone, you listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. Continuing with our presentation, Cosmic Abandonment, for this evening. We were on slide number 29, that was the quote by Travis Walton that sets the stage for the whole presentation. Uh, Slide number 30, another quote with a very uh, important message uh, by the spiritualist uh, Anthony DeMello. DeMello said that, It is a great mystery that though the human heart longs for truth, in which it alone finds liberation and delight, the first reaction of human beings to truth is one of hostility and fear. Very powerful, but very sad statement regarding the current human condition. Very true statement regarding the current human condition. The human heart is actually crying out for truth. It wants to know. Deep down inside, we want to know the truth. Fear holds us back from it. Because it's ugly. It's not pretty. It's not a pretty picture. It's not a pretty situation. You know? We've been dragged through the mud, downtrodden, kept down. Enslaved. There's nothing pretty about that. But unless we acknowledge that, we're not going to be able to move on. Unless you acknowledge where you're at, you're not going to be able to pick up the pieces and say, hey, this is what happened. Now, what am I going to do about it? And most people, they don't want to know. They don't want to make a diagnosis of the current condition of the problems we're up against because that puts them in fear, looking at that negative dynamic. So, He's saying truth is the only thing we can really find liberation and delight in. And yet our first reaction to it is hostility and fear. We want to lash out against those who are trying to tell us the truth. And the image I put along with this quote is very interesting and telling as well. You know, an iceberg showing only the very tip of the iceberg is above the surface and seen. The very bulk of that mass or that body is below the surface, is unseen. It lurks beneath the waters. The whole truth is often hidden from view. And that's what this is all about. When you study, moving on to slide number 31 now, when you study this type of a topic, you are looking into the occult. This information is occult information. And once again, that word uh, here, people are no stranger to that word on what on earth is happening. But for those who may be new to the show or this type of information, uh, and I don't recommend just listening to this show if you're new to it. If you are new to it, you shouldn't uh, be listening out of order. Go back to podcast number one and listen in order from podcast number one all the way through because this presentation has prerequisite knowledge Certainly, my natural law seminar is 100% prerequisite knowledge to understanding even the information that's contained in this presentation. But the word "occult," just to reiterate it, it does not mean evil, bad, uh, you know, nasty. Uh, you know, it's not a, a word that alludes to any specific practices. Okay, it is a word that simply means hidden. It is derived from the Latin adjective "occultus," meaning hidden. And that word occultus comes from the Latin verb occultare, which means to hide, to conceal, or to keep secret. Both of those words in turn come from the Latin noun oculus. O-C-U-L-U-S. Oculus means eye. So this is all related to the vision, related to what is seen and what is unseen, largely. What is largely unseen. In other words, what occultism or occult knowledge is, is that which is hidden from human view, hidden from human sight, often deliberately. There's a reason that the occult, the knowledge of hidden topics, hidden studies, are deliberately kept back from humanity. And moving on to slide 32, the reason for that is... The knowledge of the occult has been hidden in order to create and maintain a power differential between those who hold that knowledge and those who remain ignorant of that knowledge. Because what the occult contains is knowledge about the self, knowledge about how the human psyche operates, knowledge about how our mind works, knowledge about how our body works, knowledge about how energy systems work, knowledge about how the earth works, knowledge about how the universe works. Knowledge about how the laws of morality work. Knowledge about, knowledge about how the dynamic of human freedom or slavery works. And if you're in possession of all that knowledge and how all that stuff works, and you have another group of people that know not one damn thing about how any of that stuff works, you know how, much of, how easy it is to keep those people under your thumb, to keep them down, to keep them enslaved, to keep them doing your bidding? It's a piece of cake. Child's play, literally. Pun intended. It's like just toying with a child. And that's what the owners of this planet have been doing with the abandoned children of this planet for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Toying with them. It's a big joke to them, it's nothing. Like I said, it's a piece of cake, it's child's play to do what they're doing. They could do it with one hand tied behind their back, proverbially, so to speak. Because as long as people remain ignorant, how are they ever going to challenge them? How are they ever going to understand their true self-worth, their true value, and rise up and say no? And make that no stick because you're backing it with teeth. And you're not going to allow yourself to be enslaved. And you're not going to let this condition of coercion and violence go on unchallenged. That's what the occult is. And because people still lack that hidden knowledge, they can easily still be controlled. And until people grow up and start to understand that the occult is not something that is bad or evil. Yeah, there's a bad aspect to it. Dark occultism means you're hiding that knowledge from people. But there's a positive application of that knowledge. If you understand how the human psyche works, could you use it to uplift other people? Could you li- use it to uplift humanity? Of course you could. You know, So that's what this is ultimately all about. It's about taking that knowledge and bringing it to other people. Shining a light on what's going on in the world. Helping people to understand how they work, how their psyche works. Helping people to understand how the laws of nature work. I call that de-occulting of this hidden information. Which is why I like to look at myself not as even an occultist. Even if you tack on the word light to that. I prefer to look at myself as a de-occultist of hidden knowledge. Attempting to level the playing field. Moving on to slide 33. 33 if we look at all the various different traditions and texts that talked about this knowledge of the ancient human past and how we had interactions with non-human entities and how we were created by non-human entities and how they lived among us and gave us our institutional systems of every single kind for control purposes, not to advance us, not to help us to live in harmony with each other, to make it easier for them to control us. Okay? All of these different traditions from every single corner of the globe is essentially telling a similar story, or they're telling a different aspect of the story from a different perspective. You can go into the Babylonian creation epic tales, the Enuma Elish of of Babylon. Okay? You could go into the Akkadian texts, a sister culture to the Babylonian and Sumerian the Sumerian cylinder seals very important information when it comes to human origins the cuneiform tablets of the Sumerians etched painstakingly in clay the biblical texts the book of Genesis the book of Enoch a so called apocryphal biblical text we'll pick this up on the other side folks stay with us Thank hey, you. Hey, hey. Welcome back everyone, you're listening to What on Earth is Happening, I'm your host Mark Passio, my website whatonearthishappening.com. We are going through the cosmic abandonment presentation that I originally gave back in December of 2013, I'm unpacking it in detail, and we were on slide number 33 which shows a a conglomeration of different ancient texts that talk about... um, The interactions that ancient human beings had with what these uh, ancient humans referred to as Um, gods—um—beings that had to do with our creation and early development—and who set the early institutional systems that became the systems that we still work with today globally. Uh, I would just call them control systems because I, as I was saying before the last break, um, they didn't give us these systems to nurture us, protect us, or have us interact with each other wisely and justly. They gave us these systems to keep us out of their hair so that we we could be more easily controlled by them. They could use us for their purposes and then do what they needed to do and get out of here with as little hassle as possible. Uh, You know, you could look at, uh, I was talking about the different kinds of texts from the Babylonian and Sumerian texts, the Akkadian texts, uh, Assyrian texts. Again, these were like sister cultures to the uh, Sumerian culture, which seemingly as, you know, even modern uh, anthropologists will tell us, seem to have come out of nowhere almost fully formed with a writing system, a system of, you know, uh, Aqueducts and plumbing and water transfer and building techniques, writing methods, seemingly fully formed. Well, if that's the first culture, where did all that come from? And you know, you see some examples of their clay tablets and cuneiform tablets in uh, in this image here, and then some fragmentary uh, biblical texts in, in the middle of the image. Um, you know, you have. Creation epics like the Epic of Gilgamesh from the Sumerian culture, uh, the Babylonian culture. You have uh, the biblical texts out of the uh, Middle East, of course, that are a watered-down variation of these ancient stories from the Sumerians, particularly things like the Book of Genesis, the Book of Ezekiel, and others. The apocryphal works, uh, which are were left out of the main canon of the Bible, specifically because they contain so much detail about these accounts, like the Book of Enoch. You know, just like the Nag Hammadi texts, uh, the Gnostic gospels, uh, as they are called, were left out of the canon uh, when the biblical canon was formed uh, during things like the Council of Nicaea and afterward, because you know they wanted to set a specific a specific set of constraints in belief that they could control and steer and they don't want anybody thinking outside of those that paradigm or outside of that box so of course information detailed information about human origins or how humanity interacted with the quote unquote gods that has to go all mention of incar- reincarnation has to go all mention of the kingdom of heaven being an internal state within you a, a form of consciousness you know that is how we become, quote, Christed, or, uh, quote, anointed, that has to go. It all has to be about externalization of power, looking for a form of medium interaction, looking for a form of, you know, putting a priest as an intercessor between you and the divine force. You know, that's what religion had to be, be all about. Otherwise, how can you control people? You certainly don't want them to know about their true origins. You know, then they'll be asking a whole lot of, Questions that are very untidy and that have a lot of implications that we don't want to talk about. So, um, you know, you look at other cultures as well, like uh, the Indus, cultures of the Indus Valley, where India is now. And, you know, places like, you know, Tibet, Nepal, etc. The The Vedic scriptures... Some of the oldest known writings in humanity. you know the Veda just Vedas just means knowledge. That's what the word means. I believe it comes from Sanskrit. And you know, a lot of the information about these beings is also contained in the Vedic texts. their interactions with ancient humans. You have that story of battles taking place between the gods. In things like the Mahabharata and the Srimad Bhagavatam from the Indus Valley traditions. The Ramayana extensively details a lot of interactions between these quote unquote gods and ancient humans. Other cultures as well, like you know, the Mesoamerican cultures, the Maya Popal Vu, talked about the that's the Maya creation epic that talks about gods creating humanity for their own purposes and how they tried to get them to venerate and revere them. To venerate and revere them. Uh, You know, you have all of the ancient Norse legends and myths, the ancient poetry of the, the Norse people called the Eddas, epic poems about the interactions of the gods and human beings, the Greek traditions, you know, talking about the old gods, the titans, than the newer gods, the Olympians. We can go on and on and on, African traditions. The Dogon tribes, tribal stories and histories about interactions with beings like from other worlds, particularly Sirius, the the Syrian star system. The Zulu tribes of Africa and their histories. Preserved by more modern caretakers such as Credo Mutwa, a shaman of his, his uh, Zulu tradition. You know, interactions with beings from other star systems as well, who they called the Chitta you know, possibly from the Taurian star system, or possibly Orion. You know, it's all there if we take it at face value and say, were these people going through the enormity of difficulty that it would be to try to preserve in writing the knowledge that they possessed and had witnessed Or are they just trying to write fanciful fictional stories that they want to tell their children at bedtime? To me, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. An ancient people who had to go through such trouble to maintain and preserve text, they didn't have printing presses. They had papyrus and reeds and primitive inks and clay tablets that they etched painstakingly, and tiny cylinder steels that they carved into painstakingly in detail, in reverse, and then rolled them into clay and waited for them to harden. Now, to go through all of that, just to, just for some imaginative story that you want to tell your children or you tell your tribe to entertain them, I personally don't think so. I mean, it, it, to me, that, that's not that's not applying Occam's razor as far as I'm concerned. You know, if we're going to talk about what explanation seems the simplest and probably makes the most sense. I think they were telling people about events that they had witnessed and undergone. And they were a rich part of their culture and their tradition and their way of life. And they wanted to painstakingly preserve that for future generations so that they can understand what had happened. And understand why the, the, the human species was in the current condition that it was in. So maybe they could do something about it once they had that knowledge. That's what I think that these ancient peoples were trying to do personally. So let's begin getting into the general outline of this story. And once again, I'm I'm not going to unpack this in great detail until after I tell this whole story or thesis. That's what the purpose of this presentation was, to let me give an outline. Okay? Then we can go into some of the texts and break down things and talk about things in detail and even bring more conjecture into it about maybe the nature of these beings, what they were doing here okay what they may still be doing or wanting from us but let's give a what i would call a basic rudimentary outline of the story as it is told from many of these different traditions we could put it together as you know a tapestry all right so in slide number 34 i begin telling what i call the story of the ancient past and again you could Research this through a myriad of other researchers: Eric von Doniken, um Zachariah Sitchin, William Bramley, Michael Tellinger, David Ike, Michael Tassarion, and the list can go on and on and on. Okay, many researchers have gone into this story and broken it down and got into many different perspectives of it, but it all comes down to. An ancient, non-human race coming here and interacting with this planet for reasons of their own. And we'll begin telling that tale on the other side of this break. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We'll be right back. Welcome back everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. Before I continue with our presentation, Cosmic Abandonment, um, I want to re-give people the call-in number to join us because in the next segment I will start taking your calls, questions, concerns, anything you want to bring up or talk about. No taboo topics ever here on this show. The call-in number to join us 800-313-9443. Once again, The call-in number to join us here on What on Earth is Happening, 800-313-9443. So hopefully uh, there'll be plenty of people in queue. And uh, uh, as always, I think, um, you know, we, we have great callers here. I always say that on What on Earth is Happening has the best callers in talk radio. And it's always a pleasure to hear from people and the insights that they bring to the table and the questions that they ask are, are usually uh, very uh, point on, on point. Okay, so let's uh, continue with the presentation for this segment. Um, we were talking about the general story of what happened to humanity in the ancient past is that beings that were non-human, that were not from earth, okay, that have been described in a myriad of different ways. They were called gods as I talked about before. They were called supernatural entities. They were called giants or watchers in some of these texts. They were called in the Sumerian texts, which are some of the oldest texts that talk about this information and the most detailed. They were talked they were called the Anunnaki, A-N-U-N-N-A-K-I, okay? Um, and that term in Sumerian actually means those who came to the earth from the heavens. Those who came to the earth from the sky, from the heavens. And really, it actually, I shouldn't even say sky, that's wrong, because they had a different word for sky, which meant the sky, the atmospheric sky above the ground, uh and the heavens which meant cosmic sky okay that's what they were talking about here when they talked about you know uh those who came to the earth from the heavens the sky beyond the sky in other words space literally they meant interstellar space the word that they used when it, in this in this word anunnaki when it me, meant those who came to the earth from the heavens meant What they were really saying is those who came to the earth from interstellar space, if we are very accurate about the language. Okay. So now, first of all, if they're talking about beings that arrived on earth from interstellar space in the distant past, they actually made a word to mean that concept. It's like if we were to say extraterrestrial beings. From interstellar space. If we were to say astronauts from elsewhere, okay, they had a word for that in their language, and it, the word for it was Anunnaki. Okay, it doesn't mean a race of necessarily a single race of people, it means the ones who came to the earth from the sky beyond the sky, the cosmic sky, the interstellar sky that's literally what that term means in the Sumerian language so the Sumerians tell in their um, ancient scriptures that the, there was a mission that these beings were on they didn't come here for no reason they weren't just exploring they weren't just out exploring the galaxy or looking for new places to colonize or inhabit or anything like that they came here on a resource gathering mission They were here to procure resources from the Earth that they required for survival on their planet. And there's a lot of differences and debates. Different researchers have talked about what they may have been here for. Um, There's a general consensus, and the theory most put out there is by the researcher Zechariah Sitchin, who talks about that they were here for gold. That gold is a very sought after resource throughout the galaxy because of its properties and its properties that still remain largely unknown to humanity. I talk about later in this very presentation, there's no actual intrinsic value in gold. People talk about it as having intrinsic value. Well, that's a perceived value. Intrinsic doesn't mean perceived value. Okay? Intrinsic means what can you actually do with it in nature, in reality? And we'll get to this later, but it's kind of important even bringing up this now because, you know, when we think about why they may have come here, maybe they knew that gold had some properties that we don't know about still to this day. Why is it so highly prized? Why was it sought after by them? You know, the theory is that, oh, somehow the, its reflective nature was used to repair their atmosphere or to p- block sunlight, to refl- reflect sunlight out into their into space from their sun because their uh, protective layer of uh, ozone or other gases in the high uh, atmosphere were failing or were growing thin. I don't know if I accept that explanation. I'm not close off to it and saying it couldn't be possible, but I don't know if that that's what would drive them to come to this planet to mine the amount of gold that they're claimed to have mined when we look further into these accounts. So they had a mission to secure resources, and many researchers say that it was gold, And I'll just say in this outline that it was for purposes that are not fully understood by us in the modern day. Again, I don't want to make a lot of these points, things to argue about or to nitpick about. We can talk about the possibilities another time. We're trying to paint a general picture, an overarching generalized picture here at the beginning to form a tapestry And we could follow the the points, the finer points of the tapestry after. All right, let's put the pieces together first, the fragmentary pieces of this puzzle. So, this mission for resources was led by, in these accounts, as it is told, two brothers. And again, I'm going to use, going forward in this generalized thesis, the Sumerian epic. All right, their accounts. Because I think they're the most detailed. And so these names aren't that important. You know, you can look at their names in the Mesoamerican tradition. The creator twins, Hunapu and Shablanque. Alright? If I'm hopefully pronouncing those right. But uh, these were their names in the Mesoamerican or Mayan traditions. The names aren't as critical to have to focus on. We're talking about it possibly doesn't even represent individuals. See, I don't I'm not so attached that these were single individuals. These could have been like factions or family lineages of these beings. You know, there could have been an quote Enki faction and an quote enlil faction of these beings. The 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 story as put forward in the Sumerian epic tales of creation were that these were brothers. They were royalty. They were royal brothers. And one brother's name was Enki and one brother's name was Enlil. Okay? E-N-K-I and then the other brother was Enlil. Enlil was actually like the commander. He was the one who was the mission commander. And the second in command was Enki, his brother. They were sons of a king on their home world. Their, Their home world had... Royalty through bloodlines that was propagated through succession rights of bloodline. Possibly where we got that concept in on earth. The, the royalty dynamic, the divine right of kings, the succeeding of royal lineages through blood. Okay? Not by your merits, not by your talents, your capabilities, but by blood alone. So the mission was led by two brothers, Enki and Enlil, and they were sons of a king on their home world, these beings' home world, and that king's name was Anu. And I'm going to leave it right there for for this week, unless there aren't that many calls, then I'll pick back up into the material. But uh, we'll go to your calls on the other side of the break. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We'll be right back. Uh
3: Let's climb through the tide Não
1: Welcome back, everyone. This is What on Earth is Happening. We're into hour number three of this evening's broadcast. I'm going to open up the phone lines and go to your calls. Any topic is fair game. We've been talking about the possibility of extraterrestrial or non-human interference with human development, possibly even these beings being our makers and having created us for their purposes. For some unknown agenda. Dark and disturbing though it may be. There's lots of evidence to support that in the ancient past. And our ancestors trying to tell us. Trying to send a message down through time. To tell us about our origins. So that we could do something to change it. To change the existing human condition of slavery. So let's go to the phones and see what people have to say tonight. All right. Brandon in Boston, you're live on What on Earth Is Happening. Welcome.
3: Hey, thanks, Mark.
1: <clears throat> Thank me.
3: you.
2: Um yeah, great, great show so far. Uh, um just wanted to um bring up the fact that uh this is also I just found out in uh sort of the Norse literature and uh Beowulf stuff. Um I'm reading, uh, J.R. Tolkien's Beowulf, which is a yes. translation that came out. And in it, you have this line of Cain. Um, and there you have the two fighting brothers, and, um, in the line of Tubla Cain, because Grendel's associate, he's a sixth generation from Cain. Right. And, um, he's, um, also an artificer of grass. And, um, and he also, uh, what does it say? Oh, he, um, he has the ancient work of giants. He is a mason and a smith. Um, and yet he has these giants and the hatred of men and were enemies. If with Cain, the outlaw and murderer, you associate the older traditions of the North, it is clear that such references as Genesis, concerning tubal of Cain, and craftsmanship in brass and iron, during in the Iron Age, will fuse with the tradition will find in Grendel's lair the work of trolls of old, a sword of both of superhuman size and supernatural power, and the work of the gigantia sin, a relic of the flood. And so this is contained, I mean, you're right, it's a, a, a culprit. But, you know, for those who really seek, and, and granted, like, you know, not too many people have access to the Oxford um, Boslin Library, which is, you know, closed off to certain people, they don't read those despite old books that Tolkien read. he really included it in a lot of his sure. you know, so called fantasy. And Absolutely. It, it, it's there in the word. If you trace it in the etymology and the philology of the word, you can really find out these lineages as you're talking about and their association to um, not just cold, as you say, but um, um, just iron. You know, these these people, these giants they are sure. iron. Disappears.
1: Well, he was absolutely uh, pointing people in the direction uh, to study our ancient past, and the things that he talks about in his fiction are, I would suggest, to people not necessarily fiction, but allegorical, and trying to explain to people what's been going on in our world for millennia. Uh, and you know, his all of his work is just it's. You know, not even just his fictional work. I mean, if you just look at his his non-fictional writings, his letters and, you know, some of the uh, philosophy that are contained therein, I mean, this guy was brilliant, really understood what was going on in the world. And, uh, you know, I just think that people cannot underestimate his work and really should look into it and uh, discover the profound message that's contained in it. Uh, He he fully understood what was really going on here, and feel that he probably felt that humanity wasn't ready for the direct truth, so he encoded a lot of his knowledge that he came uh, by into his uh, fictional material and put it out as allegories so that people could more readily absorb it. I mean, that's my take on Tolkien's work, so... Oh, uh, thanks for that. I mean, that's, that's really great. Now, what was that contained in then? That was his.
2: You know, this is, that's why I, 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 I mentioned this, because this is actually not his fiction. Right. This is actually his scholarly work, trying to actually create a link between Grendel of Beowulf, okay? Big giant ogre that comes in and kills everybody except for Beowulf, and um, because he's the offspring of Cain. Um, and how you actually have this lineage, like it was very important, as you say. It wasn't like us just picking up a pen and writing a sure. No, um, it was you know the, the painstaking process.
1: And w- um, what and, what of his writings is this, uh, or where you where you're reading from or referring to?
2: Yeah, this is his recent translation of Beowulf.
1: His translation, uh, uh, Tolkien's translation of Beowulf, very interesting. Yeah, I have to check that out.
2: Yeah, beautiful, and uh, there's a lot, and Christopher Tolkien does, his son does a really great um, commentary on it, and, and in here has, there is the line from Tuba Kane, um and the Giants, and that's where, you know, you have the Ents. Sure. You, you, know. Know, the, you know, the philology, just the word reveals it all.
1: Sure, and the whole uh, idea that, you know, the pursuit of the Ring of Power is literally ah. about the pursuit of power and Lost and greed and control, you know, all the things that basically are soul-destroying forces and, you know, how that has to be carried to its oblivion if we're going to burn that out of the world, destroy it by, through a purification process by the, the the average everyday person who the, you know, was represented by the Hobbit, you know, the, the, right. the everyday individual who, you know, has to take on that that spiritual battle upon their shoulders and bur- and you know basically take on that burden even though they don't want it. It's it's such brilliant spiritual allegory encoded in like you know really imaginative works of fiction. I mean I can't imagine anybody not loving the works of Tolkien and you know even the movie adaptations that have come out uh, based on his books. It's just it's something that as far as I'm concerned is prerequisite viewing, reading, exploring when it comes to uh, the whole spiritual journey and spiritual battle that's going on here on the earth. For anybody that's into it in any way at all, uh, you know, you have to look into this guy's work. So, uh, Brandon, really thanks for that. I'm going to check out that uh, translation as well. That sounds really interesting.
2: All right. right, Send it to you. All right.
1: Great. Thanks, Thanks so much. All right great call let's uh let's take another call here in this segment let's hear from Raphael in Indiana Raphael you're live on what on earth is happening welcome
4: hi Mark how are you tonight
1: doing well how are you
4: good um I just had a couple comments you know um a lot of people like to say that money is the root of all evil and uh I say it's ignorance and fear that there is the root of perpetual evil basically
1: yeah i would and, I would definitely say that if you want to eradicate something uh you know uh, ignorance is what really has to be eradicated, especially self ignorance. Self knowledge is what is needed. I would also say that all forms of money are ultimately control systems and based in something that is illusory and doesn't really have true intrinsic value, but you know, uh, and that's ultimately going to breed more ignorance of, of self. So, you know, uh, while I would say you know money may not be the root of all evil, and I would say fear and ignorance definitely are the root of evil. Uh, I would say money plays a big role in being the enabler for evil in this world for certain. Uh, I call it a religion. I call it the ultimate religion. It's the it's become the god of this world beyond a religion. It's become the people that it's become the force that people prop up as a as a uh, uh, you know uh, an idol to literally worship in the world. And uh, as long as, uh, I I tell people, as long as a piece of paper or even a representation of value is your God, bondage is the place you're going into and staying there. So we'll pick this up on the other side, folks. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. Stay with us. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. We were talking uh, just before the last break with Raphael from Indiana, he Was talking about uh, money, uh, as, uh, in, in his view, isn't the root of all evil, but it is um, ignorance and fear that ultimately are even uh, deeper causal factors for evil. Uh, and I brought up the fact that, you know, if we base... What we find value in, in illusion, which most people do in monetary systems, that that is in itself a form of ignorance of self and it's a form of fear. Uh, It's certainly not getting to the level of consciousness that we need to get to to see ourselves in a state of uh, oneness, unity, and treat each other as a brother and sister, members of of a human family. You know the the brotherhood and sisterhood of man. Um, so, you know that's my take on uh, on that. Uh, Raphael, did you have anything else that you wanted to add?
4: Oh, actually, I, Mark, I had another uh, comment and sure. want to get your take on it. Um, you mentioned in disclosure, you know, one. Of them, I think you mentioned one time, don't count, and basically, and you know, if that were to happen, so to speak, do you think they would even want to release one of the release one of the reigns of religion, so to speak, because you know everybody needs to basically come to a, a sense of suffering before you realize that uh, you know what, what state of uh, condition we're living in
1: yeah I mean it could be a psychological tactic that they might use to uh, bring forward disclosure uh, over some uh, stepwise progression so that it uh, takes people into s- sort of a state of trauma to release from their former religion but it guaranteed will all be done to push people into the new religion of the state, you know, and namely that they can protect us from whatever lies out there in the universe that may not have our best interests in mind, you know, so that's what we have to be on guard for. Certainly, I've talked from day one when it came to this dynamic, and I included it in my presentation, Don't Count on Disclosure, uh, which I'm still trying to get a hold of. Hopefully, I can Locate that, maybe post it on my site in the near future. I'm going to see if I can get a hold of that from uh, Pat Marcatilio. But, um, uh, you know, we have to be on the lookout for a cosmic false flag. You know, how easy would it be with the level of technology that exists today, right, for uh, a covert government agency that wants to seize power, Okay, in conjunction with dark occultists, in conjunction with the military-industrial complex, how simple would it be for them to project images in the 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 night sky or even the daylight sky? Okay, and then explode some ordinances on the ground. Say these craft that are hostile, non-human entities did this, and say, well, we need to have glo- you know global martial law because we need to now. You know, protect the entire planet from some kind of an invasion, and that could all easily be staged. You know, so with the level of technology that exists today, that's absolutely a possibility. And if people don't wise up about the tactic of problem reaction solution or false flags, in other words, you know, we're as as a people, as a species, very vulnerable to a technique like that. You know, because and to to this day, these tactics still work. That's why they keep using them. They keep using techniques that work. As long as it keeps working on the consciousness of the people, or I should say the unconsciousness of the people, these people aren't going to alter their, their attack plan or their, their game book. Why would they have to? It continues to work. So it's something we should definitely keep in mind. So, uh, you know, I feel I should mention that.
4: You know, and Mark, I, I love your presentation on The Matrix. It is just amazing. <laughs> and, and the way movies allegorically speak to us. Sure. Um, recently, I, I saw at the theaters uh, Captain America, and I thought that was a pretty allegorical movie. Oh, yeah. As, uh,
1: blatant. Uh, wasn't <laughs> it? It was, so, it was so blatant. I mean, that was so up in, in your face. That was one of the most blatant allegories in fiction that I've ever seen. Uh, the Winter Soldier. Yeah. I'd highly recommend people checking that out. I, I, check that out. I think it was a great allegory about how the military industrial complex is taking over, staging events, trying to put cold people in fear, you know, and th- this was, uh, you know, Captain America, the main hero character, and they're speaking out saying, this isn't protection. You're ho- holding a gun to the head of the world and telling them, you're, you know, that uh, they need you to protect them, you know, and and he was saying that's fear that's all based in fear. So, very very allegorical. Almost blatantly in your face. It almost ceases to be allegory and they're just coming out and telling you out in the open like a lecture format practically, you know? Just wrapping that up in uh, you know, some dramatic uh Hollywood action with some special effects. But I think overall the movie was great, you know. I I I highly recommend people check it out, you know. To, to get the allegorical message uh, that was contained in it for sure
4: you know, and what 's pretty ironic is it 's from disney that 's what 's even worse <laughs>
1: well i mean there there's there 's good and bad in hollywood and all in all movie studios and you know it 's not just all dark sor- sorcerers working in the entertainment industry there are people who are putting out positive allegories with good messages. I thought the new x men movie, which I recently went out and saw. Uh, Because I'll go out and check out good allegorical fictional movies to see the messages that they contain from time to time. And uh, I thought this was a great film. Very positive, very uplifting message about choice and how we can alter the future. And how things aren't necessarily completely set in stone. Because it's about our decisions and our choices. How something that can look completely inevitable can still be changed if we apply enough willpower to change it that's what that whole movie was about. You know, I I definitely recommend people check that out. I'm a big fan of Marvel and and the X-Men always have have been since I was young, you know. I liked Marvel. Uh, I always liked the Hulk growing up. Uh that was my preferred quote, you know, uh platform for for comic books for superheroes uh and uh, I still enjoy it. Uh and I think that uh you know the writers in that movie were really making a profound statement uh, allegorically so um as long as people don't just go in and see it as a fiction i'm just going to have fun and watch some fictional bl- blow them up stuff and some special right. effects and you know blow you know two, uh, some money and two two hours of my life as long as they say hey i'm going to check this movie out to see the message what are they trying to say to me and you you try to read into the message and see the allegorical content i think it's great you know, when people don't do that and they just try to take it as a, as fictional entertainment, then they're missing the entire point. And why bother? You know. But uh, if it's seen as the allegory that it is, I think it could be very powerful.
4: And and there's two other mark that I came across real quick. Sure. Uh, trailers. I haven't seen the movies yet, but one of them was The Edge of Tomorrow with uh, uh, Tom Cruise, and and one of the taglines on the trailer was "Live, Die, Repeat." And that reminded me of your interview which you had with Laura Eisenhower which she, she mentioned those exact same words and basically basically live that and repeat until you learn the lesson of life.
1: Yeah, I don't think any of us are really getting out of this reality unless we uh, do decide to uh, transform our mind state into something that is flowing instead of rigid and learn the lessons that this uh, construct of the physical world has to uh, teach us and to bring to us. Uh, we're not going anywhere as long as uh, that rigidity is still in place. Uh, once we, once we uh, become flowing and open up our mind to other possibilities and recognize that which is and accept it and you know, adjust our perceptions accordingly, I think the sky is the limit literally. Uh, And we could go anywhere from here and learn and grow in in ways and in vistas that we, uh, in, in viewpoints that we can scarcely imagine at this stage of our development. So, Raphael, phenomenal points. I really appreciate your call and your insights. Ladies and gentlemen, stay with us. We'll be back after these words.
0: You know today destroys a night, night divides a day. Try to run, try to hide, break on through to the other side, break on
2: through to the other side, break on through to the other side,
1: yeah. Welcome back everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is happening here on RBN. I'm your host, Mark Passio. We're taking your calls until the end of the show. The number to join us, 800-313-9443. Let's hear from Joe in Los Angeles. Joe, you're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome.
3: Hey. Uh, great show, great topic. I love this cosmic abandonment stuff. It's, it makes more sense than anything I've learned my whole life, and it's so truthful.
1: I appreciate um, I that. Just to,
3: yeah, Listen, I think we all appreciate you, Mark. Uh, two two quick comments um, sure. that I uh, observations that I noticed this week. The first one was the two cops that were shot in Las Vegas. Um, I I'm I don't condone the, you know the gun, vi- you know the violence uh, you know to, to kill someone and all this you know randomly. Sure. But I have to I have to look at it as profiling because when you're profiling a person of color or you're profiling somebody looking for the truth on the internet like through the NSA, it, 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 it's it causes, like I believe, the law of attraction for somebody to come back, or something to come back and do it to you, because that's what you're putting out. I see that as now these these the dogs, the military, and the cops—they're like marked men and women. So p- normal people that are trying to figure out the truth might start to profile them, you know. And I, I it it sounds kind of far fetched, but it just feels like reverse profiling—the same kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, it just seems like a such a desperate effort or attempt, and it just seems like such a bad strategy to go about. Like you know, we need to make more inroads in waking people up and reaching people's consciousness, so it doesn't have to come to any kind of gun battle. You know, that's what we're trying to avert. I said from day one, the, all of my work is trying to avert any any of this having to come to violent confrontation uh you know and um you know uh, as kennedy said those who make peaceful revolutions impossible make violent revolutions inevitable but i don't think we need to just start randomly picking people off like what they were doing or claiming that they were trying to do it's uh it's just something that uh is very it's a very immature approach to go about Uh, Doing something like that, like this, uh, you know, where where we really need to be trying to reach the people who are doing the control uh, from a level of uh, understanding and speaking to them and bringing information forward more and more in greater and greater numbers. You know, I'm not saying it. uh, There isn't a time to protect yourself, and there isn't, you know, a need to uh, basically keep. Your ability to physically defend your rights and your life uh, because, you know, that is certainly something that has to be done, but a random thing like that is not productive whatsoever, and, you know, I don't condone anything like that. It's It's just a shame that this is how much the system drives people to act irrationally. And it could be a, a tactic to, uh, you know, also who knows? I mean, the the levels of mind control and the technologies for mind control that exist out there, we don't know. We can't jump to any conclusions about what that event was, because it very well could have been something that was staged in order to to uh, demonize. You know, people in the Truth and Freedom movement. You never know, so uh, I, I don't know enough about the actual situation for, from a, a firsthand perspective or a secondhand perspective, even reading about it to to claim anything. Um, you've probably read in into it more than i have but uh, that's my general take on that whole dynamic and it's really it's a sad situation because um you know all of it is is really needless you know all, all the violence that we're seeing on both sides you know i don't want to see more violence have to break out like i say i have almost all of my eggs in the basket of changing consciousness do i have some in the basket of if if it goes to a hot revolution yes i do but that's not where I put my the, the fullness of my energy. It is largely put into trying to change consciousness. And then, if that dynamic fails because we can't get enough people to do the great work, will I physically defend myself if I have to? Absolutely. And uh, would I support something that you know, ha- if it if our rights were being actively taken away uh, in, in a uh, hot um, you know uh, tyranny situation to to actually wage Physical battle back against it, I would support something like that if it comes to that i don 't think we 're at that point where it 's gone hot yet, but you know uh, as they say, it goes like a uh, a frog in a slowly boiling pot that 's slowly being turned up we can 't let it get to that point either, so you know it's a it's a delicate balancing act that has to be uh, walked. And, um, I, I don't think it's time to just r- randomly try to, uh, attack people in that way. If that was, you know, uh, an actual decision made on their part. Uh, and the, this was something that was, you know, uh, what it, what it appeared to be on at face value. I can't even claim that it was that. We might be looking at a false flag there, uh, through through some kind of mind control tactics. Who knows? I, I once again, I don't know enough about the situation to claim that it's either way. It looks like it's uh, an event that took place at face value, but again, I I don't know enough about the situation. Uh, and the only thing I could say is I certainly don't condone uh, that kind of methodology
3: yeah i mean you're you're 100 percent right every single thing you said i mean it's true they they immediately started to demonize them they started you know of course showing that they went to some you know so-called conspiracy sites and followed alex jones and they posted videos and they went to the clive bundy thing and, and they were kicked out of the clive Bundy thing because they were too extreme so they immediately started the media started to paint a, a bad picture of them and you're right. You have to have like about 15 to 20 different takes on every single incident, which brings me to the next point called the Islamic State of Iraq and Greater Syria, ISIS. ISIS?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: They gotta be. They gotta be joking, right? It's, it's joking. pretty
1: blatant, isn't it? I mean, it's right out in the open. You know that that's not quite as blatant as. Operation Iraqi Liberation. That was my favorite of all time. Operation O, Iraqi I, Liberation L, O-I-L, Oil. I mean, they were so blatant (laughs) with that one that so many people caught on to that one that they actually had to change the name and call it Operation Iraqi Freedom, which then morphed into Operation Enduring Freedom. But, I mean, to start naming your Operation OIL, uh, acronym-wise, is pretty blatant. This one, arguably, is as blatant as that to name this group ISIS, you know, after the goddess. You know, and of course, you know, it's all about taking down or destroying the goddess, you know?
3: Yeah, and the two S's, you got the SS, you got the the IS and IS to me because I do I do tarot. Looks like the fifth, like a fifteen and a fifteen. That's the, the devil card. I mean, there's they, you know this stuff is just thought out and um, it's great to you know guys like you and um, you know the men and women of your movement that are teaching us these things because now. We can look at the media to see what they're saying, the mainstream media, and then we can go and search on our own with our own reliable sources to sure. see what we really believe is going
1: and, on. And you'll see that the events that are playing out right in front of our eyes in an entirely new light with a different perspective that helps you to understand the kind of people that are working behind the scenes orchestrating these events and how you know numbers mean so much to them. Ritual means so much to them. Oh, belief yeah. systems, oh, yeah. symbols, oh, names. Yeah. Oh yeah,
3: and, and, and it was uh, it, the the date, the date that this all started because I was waiting for it, Friday the thirteenth. Right. There was a full, and it was I believe what's called a honeymoon, which it happens every several hundred years or fifty years or something. Sure. Full so, moon.
1: Yeah, and and a very unique positioning of the moon, very unique, uh, you know, uh, perspective as seen from Earth, especially in the northern hemisphere. Uh, the moon was spectacular.
4: Last yeah, night. But for cool, anybody that got cool. a chance
1: to see it out in the open, I mean, uh, it was just awesome. I mean, I, I was in a car late last night driving when the moon was at its zenith, and it was just unbelievable. You know?
3: It really
1: and, was. and, um,. You know that they wait for things like this. They wait for events like this to trot out their events because they they believe that there's power contained in there that has influence and makes agendas and and uh, energies flow in the way that they want to. That they want them to go. It's very ritualistic. It's very based in belief systems having to do with the planets and the stars and numbers and dates. You know, if you don't understand that these uh, people have to understand these are occultic religious belief systems. And these people are very into it. It doesn't make a difference whether you believe or accept that that's real. They believe in it. They're acting upon their belief systems. You're not required to believe what they believe. It, the the fact that they believe in it drives their behavior. This is their religion. People have to understand we're working with, we are dealing with religious sects that are operating out in the world that have tremendous influence and power. That's what the dark occult networks are all about. It's called the old religion, ladies and gentlemen, and it's still very much at work in the new world. Joe, thanks so much for the call. Absolutely great points that you brought up. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to What on Earth is Happening. Stay with us. We'll be right back. listening to What on Earth is Happening. We're into the last segment for this edition tonight. We are talking to listeners and taking your calls, your questions, your concerns, anything that you want to talk about, anything is fair game, never any taboo topics here on this show. So let's continue with that for the last segment. Let's hear from Shane in North Carolina. Shane, you are live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome.
0: Hey, Joe, man. Um, Good to be talking to you, man. i uh. Definitely been enjoying your work for a while, and enjoying lots of various people's work for the past uh, few years. Actually, you know, just one of the many people out there just just waking up and you know read what I can, but also get a ton of stuff like off YouTube and whatnot. But sure, I think that's an e- yeah, it's an easy way to dismiss a lot of things. You know, there's just you know YouTube, but there's, there's definitely a wealth of things out there. Sure, um, yeah, absolutely. But, but yeah, man, uh, just loving your work and and stumbled across stuff. I think one of the first times I heard you on RBN was, like, maybe two months ago, Mm -hmm. and you had, uh, you probably even remember it, because I don't remember the specific topic, but, man, you were so, like, pumped up. Like, I was just like, damn.
1: Yeah, I can get into those moods occasionally. I, I try oh to keep God. it somewhat reserved. I mean, you you should hear me no, in, no, 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 no. You should yeah, hear me yeah, in person sometimes off air. <laughs> no, <but> it, <laughs> if you, you that think that was, was intense.
0: It was, <laughs> it was great. It was, it was legendary. I was actually just like, man, I am listening to some just like <laughs> intense live radio right now. And since it was late night, you know, you have to feel like you're even, part of, even more part of a moment. Because, sure. You know, because it's just uh, more low-key. But, um, yeah, I, I was... Um, listening to some of your callers too and I just jotted a few things down on my pad and uh, um some guy uh, was talking about that, um, that recent shooting and I mean they're just like happening like crazy now right
1: yeah Oh they're they're it's, trying it's, it's, to it's, it's, bring it's this ridiculous. forward faster and faster so they could br- roll out the gun confiscation agenda. That's where well, this is not. ultimately leading because no, they no, no, no. want the guns of American citizens so that they can take this country from the inside and the citizenry will have no ability to protect themselves. That's where this is ultimately heading.
0: Oh absolutely and it's so obvious right now. I mean it's just it's just absolutely ridiculous, you know, um, you know, I'm to the point with a lot of these false flags where, you know, it used to be the first time, some, you know, I heard something happen and I would, you know, be poking around investigating and finding what I could. It's like, I just don't have time. There's just so much deception going on. Sure. You no. Know, so, so, I mean, I'm kind of focusing more of my energy on, you know, just ways to be positive and getting into gardening and things like that and just
1: getting... I mean, once you know the negative stuff, it's not like you should dwell on it or just make that the main focus. I mean, it's important to wake other people up to it who aren't aware of it yet, but I agree, you don't want to... Uh, constantly focus on that all day long or it will eat you up you know uh, you do want to focus on the positive things you know that's why I say I don't really want to be doing this and just exposing the darkness constantly and constantly having to repeat the same information over and over again it wears on you over time you know I want to devote my time to some creative endeavors I, I want to enjoy myself from time to time I want to live my life like anybody else does and that's what I think we all are here ultimately to do and it, we don't have to be involved in this kind of a level of extremity you know, and evil it's not necessary, you know You know, we can learn these lessons on our own, at our own pace, you know, while living our lives. And, you know, people insist that this level of evil that we're in is somehow necessary, and nothing could be further from the truth. It's a big New Age deception, you know. But um, I agree with you. You know, you don't want to stay dwelling on that constantly, because it can definitely eat you away inside. Knowing it is one thing, dwelling on it continuously is something else entirely, which I don't recommend. You know, uh, I don't recommend ignoring the the negative side either, of course, which is what too many of the New Agers out there do. Um, You have to know about it. Once you know about it, and then you could suggest solutions to the negative. Uh, And that's what this whole show has been about. You know, we talked about all the methods of mind control in the past. We went through grassroots solutions. And now we're looking into origins of this condition. And you know how that could be so important into understanding how we got to this point. So, absolutely, uh, I definitely encourage people to maintain a balance in their lives when it comes to that. It's a lesson I have to uh, follow and re- try to reinforce within myself because I could fall into some negative patterns. Uh, who who couldn't when the world is in the situation that it's in? You know.
0: Yeah one of the um, one of the guys you, you just talked with recently. With- you guys were talking about Tolkien a minute ago, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, there was this cat who came on Alex Jones a couple of days ago, and he was, he, he was some kind of guy who had um, first access to, you know, anything related to his archives and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And um, Tolkien supposedly did some kind of speech that was recorded, and it was a rare unknown recording that was recently discovered. Yes. Where he was basically talking about um, his books, and saying
1: yeah basically my you know my books are allegorical yes and, and i'm i'm, I'm book, familiar with like this not. this is re- it's really great people should definitely check this out i can't remember the individual's name though but uh yeah, uh, Tolkien spoke about this at some society uh that he was a member of. He was like some kind of a guest of honor or something and he was pretty much out there in the open telling people, yeah, these are spiritual allegories, you know, uh that contain ancient knowledge about, you know, what went on here in the past and is still going on here in the present. And that's all I basically did is I put my own unique twist and my fictional perspective on this and embellished it. But it's it's essentially knowledge about the the, the uh, human story, you know.
3: Yeah. Well, and apparently there's some.
0: Yeah. Apparently there's some you know just recent admissions of that that, that came out. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Um. Actually, could I mention a couple other things? Sure. Or you have to keep moving on. No. Go ahead. Um. You you you're also talking about um some kind of blue beam. Sort of uh, disclosure hoaxes and whatnot. Right. You were kind of speculating, of course, and whatnot. Sure. But but, you know, I I, I definitely see that as a very, very viable possibility and and likelihood. Yeah. At some point. Who knows when?
1: Think about it. When the terrorism false flags. Get old, which they pretty much have, and they don 't have that to resort to because enough people wake up to that and then the school shooting and other random shooting false flags wear out you know where do they go from there? I mean, you can go to the words of uh, you know former Nazi Werner von Braun, who came into the United States as part of Operation Paperclip, the funneling of all Nazi scientists that had done war crimes in Nazi Germany and b- brought over here with total impunity for their crimes uh, because they agreed to work for the United States intelligence agencies you know and he told people that what was coming next was f- uh, false flags involving asteroid I- impacts and explosions of you know small asteroidal bodies and then ultimately it was going to go to a uh, hoaxed alien invasions at some point which would be the ultimate false flag. Well, it's something that's there, an actually. absolute possibility, and I've said for a long time people need to keep their eyes out for that, and when it, if, if and when it does happen, you know the question needs to be asked, what, what kind of society would travel interstellar distances to, to blow up some tiny human civilizations or parts of civilization on, on the ground on another planet, for what? You know, so it, it, you have to ask yourself, will things like that make sense? And even just put that out into the consciousness of people so that they are aware of that in in advance before they ever even try it.
0: Mm-hmm. No, and and actually speaking of that, um, when, one thing I like about you is that I get the impression from you, and, and it's the same way I like to be, which is, you know, I try to know the truth. I think I know the truth, and I also am smart enough to realize that I don't know everything, and I'm just, you know, looking for it sure. seriously and honestly. And I like that about you, and you know, I can tell that tell that about you that that you, you know, you're definitely trying to just put all of your own personal things aside and to the bottom.
1: That's right. It's not about me. You know, the, you know I'm just a, a medium for this information to try to dissipate it out there in a little bit of a wider way so more people can get turned on to it. And nobody has all the answers. Nobody has every piece of the puzzle. It's all about us all bringing our perspective to the table, assembling all that information and then maybe when we bring all of those individual unique pieces of the puzzle to the table, all of us can see the big picture that is laid out before us as a result. Yeah,
0: well, you know, the disclosure thing, though, the, the, or the, not the disclosure thing, but the, that scenario you talked about, it is, if you follow biblical things, it's definitely talked about in Revelation. Yes. It basically is a, a false flag die up.
1: Shane, thank you so much for the call. Great perspective. That's all the time we have for this edition, folks. Remember, there's only two mistakes that one can ever make on the path to truth: not starting and not going all the way. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you right here next week.